seat. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> when a team gets together to lead worship on Sundays, um, we're up here for like a couple of hours on Thursday night, and then they're working at home, like learning songs, and then they get here about 6.45 in the morning on Sundays and go through stuff again. And so, and there's a lot of our tech team and worship team even sitting out here uh, this morning. So could we just give them another hand and thank them? for all the time they give because <clears throat> they really give a lot of time to it and I, I really appreciate them. If I haven't met you, uh, my name is Roland Smith and I wear a couple of hats here at Pulpit Rock Church. Uh, one of my hats is the pastor of missional culture, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about. And then I'm also the worship pastor. So I kind of oversee this thing that we call worship and I'm really glad that we're in a series on worship. Uh, summer has been fun for me because last month we talked about missional stuff, right? We talked about living into our community as a sent people of God. And uh, so I've been having fun during June and July, and I'm really glad to get to, to share with you in this series, Worship Coloring Outside the Lines. Now, as the worship pastor, you're probably expecting me this morning to talk about things like singing and like what, why do we do certain styles of music and maybe the history of worship music in the church? Why do we do this karaoke thing that we do on Sunday mornings? Uh, maybe you want to know, like, why are the drums so loud? Or maybe why are the drums so soft? Maybe you're one of those great people. Um, you may want me to answer questions like Jonathan's problem that he had last week. Like, how many times exactly should you repeat, I can sing of your love forever? Well, I learned that in seminary, and I know that answer, but we're not going to uh, talk about that uh, this morning. It seems weird for the worship guy, the guy up here that plays guitar and puts songs together and about half the service we're singing, it seems weird to hear me say this, but worship is not synonymous with singing. Worship is not synonymous with singing. Now, sometimes it helps for us to say things out loud to remember it, and I really want you to get that this morning. So I want you to say it with me. One, two, three. Worship is not synonymous with singing. You all know what synonymous means, right? It's the same thing as. All right. Now, I want to illustrate this to you. I'm going to give you a visual. I like visual aids myself. And so, I have a box. And uh, on this box, I am going to write worship. Singing. So, this is our worship singing box. Now here, we have a bunch of chord charts. These are, you know, these are the charts that we use on Sunday mornings. They've got chords and lyrics, and this is how the band, you know, plays in the same key and plays the same thing. So let's have a little fun with this. Uh, these are some different songs, and so I want you to raise your hand if you like these, okay? And you can look at your neighbor, you know, judgmentally if they don't raise their hand. So, all right, so the first one is uh, Howie Loves. He loves us so, how, I mean, how could you not like that, right? Okay, we're going to put that in the worship singing box. Most everyone loves that. Oh, here's a hymn. There's some hands just went up. They don't even know the, they don't even know the title of it, and the hands just went up because it's a hymn. Come Thou Fount. 
I love Come That Found. One of my favorite songs. Um, I'll tell you a story about that sometime and cry on stage. Um, 10,000 Reasons, Matt Redman. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people like that song. Here's Jonathan's favorite, I Can Sing of Your Love Forever. Okay, what if, what if I said we'll only do it for four minutes? Now a bunch more hands went up. Okay, we're going to put that in here too. Um, here's another one, I Am. Here's a newer one, I Am Holding On To You. Yeah, that's a good one, we'll put it in here. So here's a bunch of songs, all right? Here's a bunch of chord charts, songs that we do here, songs that the church do, does, and we're going to put that in our worship singing box. Now I'm going to put this box right over here. I kind of feel like I'm doing a magic trick. Um, now I want you to look at that box. I want you to look at the size of it, the volume of it. And now I want you to look back at me. I want you to look at this room, the size of this room. See how big this room is? Compared to the size of this box. This is worship singing. This room is worship of God. Singing and worship are not the same thing. Singing is worship. We do worship by singing. But what we call worship, sometimes we put it in too small a box. Worship is this whole room, relatively speaking, in this visual. And so for some of you, I know this is great news that worship is a small thing because you say, I hate worship, that's why we get here 15 minutes late to church. But I want you to know that worship, singing is important. I don't want you to hear me say that singing is insignificant. The people of God have worshiped through singing for ages. We have a whole book in the Old Testament called Psalms, right? And these are songs, that's what that means. And so the people of God have had this rhythm of expressing themselves in worship. When we worship in singing, we engage the right side of our brain, which is really good. It's a creative side of our brain. We engage our heart. So sometimes we need to get out of our logical place and get into our creative, emotive space. And it's really cool when 300 people come together and sing the same thing to and about God. And so worship singing is important, and it's something that we'll keep doing. But what I want you to see this morning is that singing is just a very small part of worship. Now, what I want to do this morning, instead of talking about singing and songs and the history of worship in the church or something like that, I want to get to the core of who we are as worshipers and why we're worshipers. And then we're going to talk about once we have that realization that we're worshipers, what do we do with that? Now, here's what I want to assure you as we get started. It doesn't matter if you like to sing or not. It really doesn't matter. Everyone in this room is a worshiper. I can 100% guarantee you love worship. I've never met a person that doesn't love worship. From the moment we leave our mother's womb, we start worshiping food and warmth, and we start worshiping the person that gives us that. We're all worshipers. We look in the Old Testament, and I don't know if you've read these stories of the Israelites, and they 
you know, they get engaged with another uh, tribe or another people, and they find themselves off course. They kind of forget about God, and they start worshiping other idols, right? Or Moses goes up for the Ten Commandments, and they build a golden calf. And what do we do? We shake our heads, and oh, man, those poor Israelites. They are so stupid. I mean, they, God is right there, and they just start worshiping something else. But if we look in our own houses, in our own garages, in our own checkbook, at our own calendar, we'll find out that we don't have little idols sitting around our house like little gods, but we do have idols. We do have things that we worship. So we're all worshipers. The question is not, do you like worship? Because I know you like worship. The question is, what do you worship? And how do you worship? Now, to get to that, the answer to that question, we're going to take a little journey. And the journey is one that all of us that follow Jesus, that call ourselves Christian, however you say that, all of us have taken this journey. It's a journey from before Christ, before we knew Christ, to after we knew Christ. And we've all taken this same journey. And it's in scripture. And we're going to look at it this morning. But to give you an illustration of that, I want to tell you about this amazing painting. Since we're in a series about art, coloring outside the lines. So this is a painting that Picasso did in 1901. It's called The Blue Room. And it was painted during his blue period. You may have heard, that, heard about that. Picasso's best friend died. And so for about three years, he, he left the bright colors aside and started painting a lot of paintings that were in blue. And so they call it Picasso's blue period. Now, this belongs to the Phillips collection. It travels around the world and you can see it. It's really, really famous. Um, it's in um, Seoul, South Korea right now. It's going to be in the United States uh, starting next year. We don't really know the value of this painting because they've owned it since the 20s. Uh, but probably, I mean, it is priceless. They say all of Picasso's work is priceless. It's probably in the neighborhood of 50 to $75 million. Easy. Maybe more than that. So super priceless. All of Picasso's paintings are amazing. But what's amazing about this painting is not what you see. What's amazing about this painting is what you don't see. Because living underneath the blue room is another painting. In the 50s, they started using x-rays to x-ray and infrared technology to look at masterpieces. They were trying to figure out like brush strokes and when stuff was painted and how it was painted and, you know, get inside the head of the artist. And they started seeing something in the blue room, but the technology wasn't really good to make it out. In 2008, we finally had the technology to see clearly beneath the blue room. And we found another painting. And this is what it was. It's a man with a bow tie. It's this black and white kind of grayish man with a bow tie. And so since 1901, underneath this masterpiece, the Blue Room, 
lived this drab man with a bow tie. All this time living his black and white, if you will, life underneath this masterpiece of color. One researcher was quoted saying there's new interest in studying Picasso with this new x-ray technology because there were previous things about him that we didn't know because he had covered it up. And that quote got me thinking, you know, maybe that's kind of like us. It's kind of like we have this painting underneath. And then there was a painting of color on top. And we kind of know what the painting is underneath. We have our own x-ray vision, right? And we can see what has been in the past. It's as if the artist Picasso started painting a portrait, a particular portrait, and then he took color and painted a different masterpiece for the world to see, a work of art. So this helps illustrate our story and our scripture this morning because the Apostle Paul gives us the story of a picture beneath a picture, a painting beneath a painting. He tells them, this church in Ephesus, of a portrait once painted that has now been painted over by the master artist. And it's a story of us that call ourselves Christians. It's the story of the painting beneath that now has different colors on top. And the colors are grace and forgiveness and new life. It's the story of a journey of a painting that is each one of our lives. So I want to read it for you. And I want us to look at it together. First, let's look at the painting that's underneath, the painting that was started Paul says it this way, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This is Paul talking to these Christians in Ephesus, saying, you used to look like the man with the bow tie, this black and white life of sin, following the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world, it says in Scripture, or the NIV, what I, what I memorize says, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is the enemy. This is the devil. He rules over this world, the air of this world. Now, not only does this piece of our passage explain the painting that's underneath, it explains a lot about our world today, too. Because... I don't know if you realized it, but you can get up every day and you can look at Facebook or you can turn on any news channel that you want. And we're faced with bad news after bad news after bad news. We start asking questions like, what in the world is going on? The shootings, the the suicides, the wars, the chaos, the evil, what is happening? It's because we live in a world that is not the kingdom of God. 
Now, the kingdom of God has been announced, and the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God resides outside of this world, but right now we live in a world that has a ruler of the kingdom of the power of air, as Paul puts it. And the, this is the world that some people live in. The message version puts it this way. It says, you, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. This is where we all lived as worshipers. All of us lived inhaling unbelief and exhaling disobedience. And for some people that don't live in a new painting, a new world, they still live there. This is why Paul says, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So there's still an artist painting black and white. And there's an artist that's painting color. Then we come to the most important word in this whole passage. It's one word, and the word is but. It's hugely important to this passage. This is the point where Picasso picks up the paintbrush and loads it with blue paint. This is the point where God picks up the paintbrush and starts painting on our black and white lives, the man with the bow tie, and he begins painting and he says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And so this black and white life we were living, voila, a painting of color. The master artist has taken the man with the bow tie and painted a work of art. And it's priceless. And it's you. And it's me. So what do we do with this gift? I mean, what do we do with this gift that we've been given? We come to church and we have, we're, we're given knowledge like this. This is who God is. This is how he has saved us. This is what he has done for us. But what, what do we do with that then? It may surprise you to learn that God invites you to be an artist as well. And you may say, well, I don't know if you've heard me sing, but boy, you should really not see me paint. But he has invited you to be an artist. All of us are artists. If you go on and read in verse 10, we see that Paul writes, for we are God's 
masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned us long, for us long ago. He has created us in Christ. Why? To congregate on Sundays? To just have Bible studies? To just feel good that we're saved and we're over the line? No, he's created us in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. These are, in some translations, good deeds. And so he has planned good deeds for us to do. He invites us to be artists as well. It's really interesting when you look at that word masterpiece. In some translations, it'll say workmanship, for we are God's workmanship. That word is really cool, and I'm going to get a little geeky with language here. But in the Greek, this word for masterpiece or workmanship is this word poema. Now, someone tell me, anyone, what English word can you imagine that we get from the Greek word poema? Poem. So you're not just a creation, like a plant or something. You're God's poem. Like he writes verses of you. You're God's workmanship. You're his creation. You're his song. Some interpretations in the Bible says you're his work of art. For you are God's work of art. What the enemy started painting that was black and white and drab and a man with a bow tie, God has grabbed the paintbrush and has painted color on it. And you are now this priceless work of art. And he can point to you and say, look world, look what I painted. No matter what you're dealing with in life, no matter what pain you carry, no matter what sin you committed this week or even this morning, you are God's work of art because we read it's nothing that we can do it's everything that he can do as the master artist so what's all this got to do with worship coloring outside the lines you remember last month we were we were talking about giving people a glimpse and a taste of the kingdom how many of you were here for the now infamous bacon sunday yeah, we, if you weren't here, boy, did you miss it because we filled the room with the smell of bacon and then we served bacon to everyone and we were talking about giving people a taste of the kingdom of God, that we wanted to give them a picture of what the kingdom looks like in a world that has a ruler of the kingdom of the air. And so what do we do with this? These good deeds that God has planned for us to do, that he planned long ago for us to do, that verse 10 says, these are the actions of love and gracious living, being people of peace in such a way that the kingdom of God is shown in the way that we live. We don't just announce the kingdom with words, though we do sometimes, but we want to live the kingdom we want to give people a sense of the kingdom of God in this world in the way that we live 
with them. And so we live into broken situations. We lean into those situations. And we say things like, you know, there's not going to be any hunger or homelessness in heaven. So here, eat. And so we've just picked up a paintbrush and we've added color to a painting that may be black and white. We look at broken relationships and we say, you know, there's not going to be any broken relationships in the kingdom of heaven. And so let us love you. Let us help you through your marriage. Let us help you through the relational difficulties. And we take a paintbrush and we add color with God to a canvas that may have black and white all over it. We look and we say, you know what? There's not going to be any abuse or sex slavery in heaven. And so we partner with people like Exodus Road and we say, we're going to grab a paintbrush and we're gonna, they're going to join us and we're going to paint color along with God on black and white situations so that we can show these girls and these young people what the kingdom of God should look like even though they're living in a world with the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We look at people that we pass over and we drive by in our car and we say, you know what, no one is unseen in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to notice you and I'm going to hear you. And we grab a paintbrush and we add color to a black and white story. These aren't just good deeds. They're not just good deeds. I know that some of you do these things already. They're not just good works from someone that has a good heart. These are the worship of God. These are the good deeds that God planned for us long ago to do. It's the room that we live in. And so we carry the kingdom into the world, into the places that we live, work, and play. You see, my worship isn't just what I do in this room. It's not about what songs I pick or lead you in from the stage. My worship is not defined by my title. My worship is not just defined when I have a guitar on and I'm singing, and neither is yours. See, our worship is defined from the fact that we all have a black and white painting beneath the painting that's color. We all know what our man with the bow tie looks like. Some people that are really, really close to us, we've given that x-ray vision to, and they know what our past looks like too, what our story looks like. And boy, do I know mine. I mean, my man with a bow tie, I'm not very proud of. But I could tell you a story of a master artist that grabbed a paintbrush and painted a whole new creation in me. You know that verse that Paul writes to another church in Corinth? He says, he says For you are a new creation. In Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. He's kind of saying the same thing. Short and condensed version. The old painting 
has been painted over. The old is gone, the new has come, and you are a new creation in Christ. Remember that version of the black and white portrait that we read in the message where it says, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. And sometimes we still struggle. We feel the call of dirt, right, in our life. In Genesis, we're told that that God, it's in the second chapter, it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. And into his nostrils, he breathed the breath of life. This is a powerful verse. This, this little phrase, breath of life, that we go by so quickly is this Hebrew word, ruach. And I love that word, not just because it's Hebrew, but because it sounds like Klingon. And you can try saying it, but you're going to have to do it where you almost spit on the person in front of you. Because when you say ruach, breath is supposed to come out of you, exhale out of you. Because it's the breath of God, it's the spirit of God that was breathed into dirt to bring about life, mankind, man and woman. You see, this is the business that God is into. If God had a business card, he'd pull it out of his back pocket and he'd hand it to you and it would say, God, I breathe life into dirt. That's what he does. And so it doesn't matter how dirty your life is. It doesn't matter how black and white your life used to be or feels like. He will breathe life into dirt and he will paint color on whatever your man with a bow tie looks like. So how do we, how do we worship? One of the definitions of worship that I've held on to is this. Worship is simply giving God back his breath. Isn't that cool? He breathes into us life. And worship is giving God back his breath. So when we sing, when we do this singing thing that we do as a community, it's awesome because together we're giving God back the words and the breath and the life that he has given us. But you want to know how to really worship? You, know, you want to know how to worship in the room, not just the box? Carry a paintbrush. Get a paintbrush and stick it in your back pocket if you have to remember. But carry a paintbrush everywhere you go. And look for portraits of the man with the bow tie. And ask God, what color can we paint on this? Tell me, God, how to help you paint life into this black and white. When we do that, when our good deeds begin to give glimpses of the kingdom, when we participate in ruach, into dirt, then that will glorify our Father in heaven. And that 
is the definition of worship. Last week, we introduced you to a prayer wall. It's over on this side of the worship center. And over there, there are little pages like this. And you'll see that some people have already written prayers and for themselves or from other people or for their country or their city or whatever, and they've written them down. And then, you know, you roll up these little pieces of paper and you, and you stick it in the, in the webbing. And we're going to worship in singing now. But I want to invite you to engage that prayer wall because all of us have something we can write on one of these pages. And there's pens over there too. And there's power in writing something down and putting it in there. And I want to let you know, everything in that prayer wall is private. There's not a prayer team that reads anything. There's nothing that we grab and look at. We will pray over that prayer wall without reading things. But this is between you and God. It always will be and it always is. You may want to thank God for the way that he has painted on your life for what he has created in you, the masterpiece he has given you. Or you may be battling this call of dirt and just you, your prayer may be, God, breathe life into me, please. Or maybe you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you haven't made that decision. And you're welcome here to discover that. And maybe this morning your prayer And your decision is to no longer live a black and white life. But you want to take the steps to let God paint a portrait over you. And so write that down. Put it in that prayer wall. It's a great first step. I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to... We're going to sing a fantastic song that's written out of this verse in Genesis. And as we do, I want you to just think about the life and the breath that God has breathed into you and the way that we will give our words and our life back to him. Father, we love you. We worship you. God, in this room, there are journeys uh, and stories All of us have a man with a bow tie kind of story in our past. And I just pray that you would bring forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. I I pray that you'd paint the color of grace where grace is needed. God, paint belief where belief is needed. Trust, patience, holiness. transparency, love, whatever the colors that each person in this room needs. God, I ask that you take a paintbrush and you paint on their canvas right now. I pray that whatever dirt exists in this room, that you breathe life into it. We worship you as our master artist, our creator, our father, our Lord. Amen.